Um, I was, well, just to, just so you know where I'm coming from on this, um, turn to Colossians, we'll be there anyway. I'm going to assign um, the passages specifically in the yellow circle tonight, because uh, we're going to be going through this in the next few weeks, um, to some of you to read. As I was looking through Colossians tonight, I got to, we had just finished up verse 8, working through verse 9 and 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Back up to that phrase, filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I stopped there and I realized I'm going to have to quickly go back through a series that I did through you, or with you, when we first got here. It was like it was on a Wednesday night. Uh, and so I was thinking how to quickly summarize that for you. And then I just, as, as I continued, I'm like, you know, Maybe it's time we just want to do the whole thing again. And it just seemed like the easier way to go as we're talking about God's will and as we continue to look at that passage. So we're going to do what, what is called an excursus in some of my commentaries. I just like that word. It means we're going to veer off track a little bit and address a topic that is a part of the passage. And that is the question really then, what is, when we come to passages like this, God's will for our lives, that causes, really, this ends up being one of the topics that many struggle with, especially if you hear this a lot from young people, but it's not just for young people. That is, what is God's will for my life? What are God's expectations for me? Um, and uh, many years ago in seminary and the Cornerstone Baptist Church, just so you know where I got the... Um, the basis for this study, Pastor Reimers presented uh, this very topic, and he even had these two circles. Now, I added to that and made it look a little bit better visually and added some scripture and things, uh, but this was so helpful for me uh, because there's a lot of different approaches and interpretations of what God's will looks like, um, and people can be very confused about what God's will is for their lives, you know, and, and, and sometimes when we pray, Lord, please show me what you would have me to do, almost as if, I don't think we mean to say this, but we tend to act like, Lord, I pray that you would give me some prophetic revelation of what you're going to do in my life very soon. And if you think about that, that's not really what God does. I mean, we're not all prophets. He doesn't reveal ahead of time, in other words. Um, what he's how he's going to act in specific situations in our lives. We would like that. On the other hand, do we really want to know everything that God's going to do in our lives ahead of time? No, no, I just want certain aspects to know so I can plan better. That would be so wonderful. Well, that's what some people pray for when they pray for God's will, that he would show them what he's going to do in their lives so maybe they could plan a little better. Well, that and other misrepresentations of God's will can confuse us. And so I think it's good and helpful for us to go back through this again. Um, 
this was early on. We have a lot of new folks here since we were here. We've been here three years now, if you can believe that. And so um, a good reminder and a good help for those that haven't heard this material before. This is called God's Will for Our Lives. Um, I am going to ask, let's see, uh, Gary, would you be ready to read from Romans 2, 17 through 18? Steffi, Colossians 1, 9 through 10. We were just there, so that, that's an easy one. Um, let's see, Rick. Would you do 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and Leslie, Matthew 12, 46 through 50. And then Peter, Acts, be ready to read Acts 16, 6 through 10. That'll give us a good start. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive into this. Lord, thank you that you have made your will clear, your will for our lives, your moral will. And then that comes, the knowledge of that comes through your scriptures. And that, Lord, as we seek to know your word better, that you make it clear your expectations for how to live life in obedience to you, your moral will. At the same time, Lord, we're grateful that you are sovereign. And that in your sovereign will, you don't tell us ahead of time <clears throat> what you're going to do. But we can trust the fact that you are in control, even as we've seen in Habakkuk. A wonderful reminder that regardless of what takes place in our world and our lives, that you have a sovereign plan and everything is going according to that plan. There's no mishap. There's no surprises with you. And so that we can trust in your sovereign will while choosing to obey your moral will. And Lord, in that, uh, let us find comfort and let us help others that are seeking what you would have for their lives, to have a better understanding of this, to serve you faithfully in dependence on you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, even as I have this um, illustration here, and I have um, above the top, God's will for our lives, I want us to understand something. This does not mean, in essence, that God has two separate wills in the way that he's almost, I'm not describing some sort of schizophrenic deity, Right? Um, schizophrenia, you know, may or may not be legitimate. People are diagnosed with that. It sounds like a terrible thing um, that, that people struggle with. Certainly in this, I'm not describing a, a God of two different minds. He's one God. He has one uh, purpose for us. Come on in. Hey, good to see you, brother. It's, a God. it's going great. Good to have you back with us. <laughs> we've got we've got places over here. In front. Uh, do we have an extra? We've got an extra chart right behind Paul there, actually. And we just started, so you haven't, you haven't missed too much as we get going. God's will. Um, in the, uh, the yellow circle in particular is what we're going to look at tonight. And when someone asks what God's will is for our lives. Again, he's one person, he has one will, but this represents God's sovereignty over his expectations for us. And those, we have them separated out. And where we're going to see is we're going to have the yellow demonstrating, representing God's moral will, what God wants to have happen, what he's told us through his will, through his word. 
And then the blue is God's sovereign will, what God decrees to happen. In this blue circle, this is what is going to take place. And where we want to end up is in the green. Okay? And I'll explain how that works more here in a minute. But the yellow, God's moral will. You see that described there at the bottom. What God wants to happen in each of our lives. His expectations for our lives. In this aspect of his will, we get a choice. And God's and scripture makes that clear. God says, you have a choice whether to decide to obey me, to obey my word or not. In the blue circle, we don't have a choice in that. That's God's will. That's God's choice alone, his sovereign will. What he has decreed, what he's going to decree, just like we saw in Habakkuk, it will happen and we'll get into that in just a minute. Now, normally I start with God's sovereign will, but it will still work to start with his moral will since we had that, that passage in Colossians. Uh, so let's start with Romans 2, 17 through 18. Would you go ahead and read that, Gary? But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law. Okay, can you read verse 19 as well? And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. Okay, I know it continues on there, and we're kind of taking this out and this uh, to focus on a specific aspect. Why would I include this in God's moral will? Well, Paul is addressing the Jewish leadership and the, really the Jews in general as well. This may sound like a rebuke to, um, and in context overall, this is a, a sense, a rebuke of Paul to the Jewish people that they have had God's law and all these things, and yet they've rejected Christ. But he is speaking a specific truth in this. If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, and it says here, know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. That part is not a rebuke. He goes on to say, then you should have been guiding others. But in this, the principle is, is that the Jews should have known God's will and be able to approve what is excellent. To be able to walk in a way that is pleasing to God and know what God approves in their lives. How could they know that? How could they know his will, what I'm calling his moral will? He makes it clear. You're instructed from the law. You receive instruction from God's word. God's word was given to the Jewish people, and therefore they're without excuse. They had access to know what God intended for them how to obey him, how to please him, and how to follow after him. And they should have been a light to others, and they failed, obviously, in that as a, as a people group. But the principle here is that God's moral will can be known. We can know how to please him. He doesn't leave us in doubt. Uh, he doesn't leave us in doubt on how to obey him. He instructs us in that from his word. That is his will. God's will we find in his word. Okay, that's pretty basic. Hopefully that's understandable. Now let's get into the passage that I mentioned that we were going to start in tonight, Colossians 1, 9 through 10, and this will give us more input. 
For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to all, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay. Romans chapter 2 made it clear that we can find out what God wants to happen, his moral <laughs> will in our lives through his word. But then also, we have the responsibility, as Colossians points out here, as Paul points out, to um, know his will and obey his will as well. Let's look at that more closely. To be filled with the knowledge of his will, knowing his will from scripture. And so then that provides spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That spiritual wisdom and understanding is the idea of being able to apply God's word practically to the different scenarios that we face in life. And so literally that we can walk worthy of the Lord in every step, that illustration, that word that Paul uses, we can, through God's uh, light guiding us in his will, we can walk in a manner that's pleasing to him, that's worthy of him. You notice that last part under God's moral will, that last phrase I put, walking with God. Um, this is something that we have a responsibility, a choice in this. Paul prays that the people would be filled with the knowledge of God's will through his word and would have an understanding of how to apply God's word, then spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that they could walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now this also, in context, Paul is praying this because there's also the option that they would not do this. They would not choose to follow after God's word and to walk according to him. And I think we understand this. We God gives us a choice. He doesn't make us autonomous. Is that right? He doesn't make us robots um, that we, we just naturally follow after. But he gives us a choice in that way. And Paul prays that they will increase in the knowledge of his word through scripture so that they will know how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. They will have wisdom and understanding, so be able to apply God's word practically in their lives and follow after his will. And God can use that, then the principles, the commandments, to guide us in every decision we make. We can walk worthy of the Lord, folks, in every decision we make. We saw that with David this morning. David had opportunity to, even facing temptation, to do the right thing. Unfortunately, he chose not to walk worthy of the Lord in that situation. He chose to follow his own way. Uh, but he had a choice. And we have a choice. Okay? 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. All right, now we'll get, we're just going to ignore the last part of that verse for this study. But um, Paul makes clear in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, what is the will of God? Your sanctification. What is, what is sanctification? It's progressive spiritual growth 
in our Christian lives. God's will for our lives is to know his word and to, through knowledge, continuing growth and knowledge in his word, grow in our relationship with him and continue to be further sanctified, to become to look more like Christ. God's will, word is clear in this. That's his will, our sanctification, to grow, to look more like the character of Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked about sanctification a lot in the past. I think we understand the basic definition of that, um, that it is progressive, and that it is God's, for those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ, again, maybe I, I should have started out with this, but this is all based on the um, fact that we need to have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that we're all God's children based on that faith and relationship with Christ, that we're Christians. We can't know God's will at all if we're not believers, if we haven't put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So let's let's be clear. Sometimes um, as we start these things, we are just uh, teachers can tend to just think, oh, they've already known that, and, and, and we need to have that as a basis. Um, that as believers, of course, it starts with a faith in Jesus Christ that God then shows his will to us through his word. Any questions on that so far? Or any further thoughts? It's a Sunday night. We can interact a little bit. Does that make sense? God doesn't want his will for us to be cloudy or to be mysterious in one sense. Now, his sovereign will, like Habakkuk explained and, and complained, actually, let's be honest, um, that was mysterious to him and that bothered him. But God's moral will, his expectations for our lives, as we read his word and understand his expectations, he doesn't, he makes that simple. Okay, he makes that easy, gives us the Holy Spirit to understand how to apply it to our lives. God's moral will. Well, let's look at Matthew 12, verses 46 through 50. Who had that? Go ahead, Leslie. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. All right. Uh, those that follow God's moral will are, are his children, uh, are his family. Uh, again, that's, that's with a relationship with Jesus Christ. But... Again, another thing to point out here is that this is presented as a choice. Whoever does the will of my father, whoever would choose to obey God's word and follow after his will, those are a part of God's family. So, yes. Um, so we see in the world, it's possible for unsaved people to follow biblical principles, financial or even unity. Um, but you'd have to, you, we would make the disclaimer that those that follow after a portion of God's moral will aren't necessarily in his family. Right, right. It's through a relationship, um, like I mentioned just a few minutes ago with Jesus Christ, that you're able to perfectly, you, you have access to, uh, ob ob I don't want to use the word perfectly, but we're able to fully be obedient to God's word. 
an unbeliever could follow a few basic principles, but they wouldn't be able to fully be obedient and thus be a part of, of God's family. So yeah, a relationship with Christ is, is key. Faith in them. That's that's the entryway to all of this. And, and we so let's make sure we have the Holy Spirit. Here, yes. We have the advantage of the Holy Spirit. And, yeah, exactly. And so um, the Holy Spirit guides us as we read God's word. That's part of the sanctification process. The Holy Spirit is guiding us as we read, helping us to understand, giving us that spiritual wisdom. That's how we receive wisdom and understanding is through uh, the Spirit's guidance in our lives as we're reading God's word. And so we can choose to follow God's word and to submit to the Holy Spirit and literally to walk in every step if we're submitted like we should be and know what God wants us to do. Does that make sense? That's pretty clear. Well, how about this? Look at that chart. Is there, as we're following God's will, are there times then in this, this this yellow portion here, because remember, this yellow portion is outside of God's sovereign will, which is blue, <clears throat> for that chart. I'm not trying to get too confusing here. I think this will make sense. Um, but are there times where we choose, where we want to do something that's within God's moral will, but not within his sovereign will? Things that we want to do for God and obedience to him. That God says, no, I, I don't want you involved in that. That would be represented in that the rest of that yellow there. Well, let's look at Paul in Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. Who had that to read? Okay, Peter, go ahead. And they went through the region of Perga in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Asia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing through Maesia, they went to the town, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. But when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into the Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. Okay, wonderful. Um, this is uh, in Paul's second missionary journey, Timothy. Um, and Silas with him. <clears throat> and Paul has this desire to want to give the gospel in Asia, which is technically east. He has, and, and we would all agree that Paul wanting to proclaim the gospel in Asia would be a good thing. That would be something God would want him to do in his moral will, except for the fact that the Holy Spirit then makes it clear to Paul and his companions, no, I forbid you to go to Asia. So then they say, okay, we're going to be submitted to the Spirit. We're going to obey God, and we want to go north then, Mysia, Bithany, and preach the gospel again. That would be God's moral will. He wants us to proclaim his word to the world. So they had a desire to want to do that. But the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit described here again, sent by Jesus, would not allow them to go north. And so what did they do? Well, they waited to hear from God, and at the same time, um, they went to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. 
a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding, obviously, that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul was submissive to God's moral will. But which one of those options, they were all options within God's moral will, but only the last one was in God's sovereign will, in the blue circle. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? There may be lots of things that we want to do for God, but we have to talk with God and lay them before him and say, Lord, do you want me to do this? Yeah, Rob. I'm just trying to think of it on my level, I guess. So if I have kids and they want to do something kind for the neighbor, it's a good thing to be kind, right? Be kind one to another. But our family is leaving, and I tell my children, come, let's go. We have to go now. So while they want to do a good thing, but that good thing is regulated by the parental control. Yeah, yeah, very good. That, that, that's a great illustration of, of what we're talking about here. There may be there may be other factors that the children don't realize that are more important and guard that, that um, govern this whole thing. And we as God's children have to realize there are many times, even though we want to do something for him, there are more important factors that he has ordained that need to take place. And so we submit ourselves to his sovereign will while to, while desiring to obey his moral will. That's a great illustration. Yeah. So we can just have David wanting to build the temple. Yes. God said no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nobody would argue that that was a good thing uh, for David to want to do. But it would have been wrong for David to proceed with that because God shut it down for him. So what did David do then? Well, he did the next best thing and he collected <laughs> all of the materials for the temple so his son could do it. So you still see his heart in that. And uh, that's good. That's a good example, too. Lots of examples. Yeah, Rick. I heard my brother give an illustration of this, and I, I may have used it in, in the past too. But uh, if you go and give your child a drink of water, and he says, Can I have a drink of water? And you say, Sure. And he, but when he's ready to drink that water, you see a chip out of the top edge of that glass. Immediately you say, Don't drink that. All of a sudden, your will changed. Yeah. But that's because you could see something he couldn't see. Yeah. And so you change that at that point. Yeah. So God's will, I mean, in, in normal things, it might be just by giving the gospel. Why can't I give the gospel? Well, there might be something that the Lord sees that we don't see. Yeah. He changes that. Yeah. That, that's that's good. We have to be submissive to, like we talked about with Habakkuk this morning, who has the eternal perspective? It wasn't Habakkuk. He has a very limited perspective. We have a very limited perspective. So even the good things we want to do for God have to be submitted to him first um, to make sure that we are truly following his moral will. Okay? That's good. Those, those are good in, uh, insights and input. Yeah, wow. But in another application, we studied the, um, that topic of conscience and the liberties Christians have where, you know what, all things are lawful, but if we're regulated by God in the conscience, not all things are expedient. Yes. Is that an applicable? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. There may be things that people, God has given them freedom in their conscience and to act on that in certain venues. 
in other venues, God says, no, for the sake of unity, um, let's let's not do that. And that would be a part of his sovereign will for us, which puts us in the green section there, but I don't want to get ahead too much because we still have to explain the blue, which isn't too hard. Sometimes God's sovereign will for our lives is something that's hard for us to submit to and to um, comprehend. Certainly, it's hard to comprehend. But the fact that God is literally in control of everything, like it's one of the major themes of the book of Habakkuk, right? Even the, the evil things, the bad, the bad people. God in his sovereignty has this whole thing in his control, and we have to submit ourselves to that recognition. So God's moral will is what God wants us to do, but his sovereign will in this blue is what God decrees this is going to happen. So let's see. Um, Kurt, would you get ready to read James 4, 13 through 17? We'll read a few more verses here, and we'll get back to this next week. Uh, Paul, would you do Romans 1, 10? Tom, can you do Daniel 4, 34 through 35? Four. Yes. Uh, Rhonda, do you like to read in public? Okay, good. <laughs> Acts 4, 26 through 28. And then we'll have an example here with Samson. We might be able to get through this. Um, here's the basic principles of God's sovereign will. As we'll see in Scripture, we cannot know ahead of time. The gift of prophecy was something that God used within the Old Testament and maybe to a lesser extent in the New Testament, but we don't have the gift of prophecy today where God tells us things ahead of time, right? Because we have all of his word and that functions for us. So God does not tell us ahead of time his sovereign will. How do we know it? When it happens. Um, I, I like uh, one of the speakers at the Lounge this summer was talking about, he said, um, how, how do you put it, Arden? Marshall, Marshall Fant's son, Joe, he asked the kids, it's kind of a trick, trick question, but he said, kids, how did I know that my wife was God's will for me to marry? And they're like, you know, they all kinds of answers. And, you know, they got engaged or when they first met or whatever. He said, no, when the pastor declared that we were man and wife. <laughs> That's when I knew for sure. There's no going back. You know what I mean? That when it happens, finally, that's when you know for sure, right? We can apply that to a lot of scenarios. We plan, but if God changes the plans, we submit to that because God always knows better than we do. Well, let's look at a few passages in James 4, 13 through 17. Go to now, be that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city. And continue there a year, and buy and sell, and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanishes away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boasting. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Okay, very good. 
Is the Lord then negative or counting as sin our desire to plan ahead? I think you know the answer to that. And we've had a study in James a few years ago. That's not the point of all this, but it is the point. What, what he's trying, what he's uh, proclaiming here is that uh, we must not make plans for our lives without seeking God's opinion and God's direction in those decisions. In other words, if the Lord wills, not just, I'm going to do this. Here it is. Here's my plan. Let's go. Let's do it. But as believers, we submit that plan to God. God, if you will, this is what we would like to do. We will live and do this or that. If we don't, we're arrogant. James, James just comes right out and says it very clearly. And all such boasting and arrogance is evil. And then he says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And he's specifically saying there that when we make plans without seeking God's direction, that we are committing sin, that we're doing evil. That's pretty clear. We must always, in the midst of our plans, then be willing to submit to God's plans. And, and he will, if we're not submissive, I mean, he will still do what he's planning on doing. We can't thwart his plans but it'll be rougher on us. Better just to submit and seek God's will in the midst of our plans, realizing that he has a sovereign plan that is going to happen and be submissive to that plan. Okay? Let's, let's look at Romans 1.10. Romans 1.10, making request. By any means now at last I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Okay. Uh, kind of like uh, what we described just a little bit earlier, but uh, Paul had an intense desire to visit the people in Rome and, and proclaim the gospel further and see them grow. That's good. But he recognized that he was still, that he still needed to submit to God's sovereignty, that God had a plan and God was going to accomplish that plan. And so before Paul even did something that was very commendable, wanting to give the gospel, he had to make sure that I am submitted to God's plan, and so I have prayed and I've asked God if it's his will that I might come to you. That's what we ought to do in all of our decisions, in submitting to God's sovereign will. Lord, I want to do this, but do you want me to do this, right? And we, let's just be honest, a lot of times we forget to do that. Maybe not so much in the big things, sometimes in the little things. But God wants us to do that for, for all things, all decisions in our life. Submit to his sovereign will. Daniel 4, 34 through 35. This is uh, a wonderful passage from a very, we've just been talking about in, um, did I say something wrong? No, Daniel I'm 4. Okay, all right. Um, let me finish this real quick. Um, we've just been talking about the arrogance and the cruelty of the Babylonians. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is the highlight of all that, right? He is an arrogant, proud king who looks at himself as the end of all things. He worships himself. He builds idols and tells people they have to worship idols of himself, by the way. And so a very, the, the ultimate proud pagan, and God humbles him in a remarkable way, right? We know the story here. And his testimony at the end of this is beautiful and he preaches he becomes a preacher 
and preaches God's sovereignty in this. I love this passage. But before we get to that, uh, Leslie, what was your comment? No, it was just uh, the boys and I have been doing an extensive study of Jonah in Sunday school. So when you mentioned about it, God's plan cannot be thwarted. That just came right to mind because in yes. a study where Jonah's right in the, the belly of the fish and he got vomited up today. Yeah. That was just a, a great illustration of that. Yeah, that's that's very good. Jonah did not want to do God's will. And God, you know, let him go so far and then gave a very stirring, a very disgusting reminder that God was going to do his will through Jonah, whether it like it or not. And he ended up being in the vomit of a fish, which, as you can imagine, in the stomach of a fish, you can imagine maybe what that would do to a person's first uh, skin and his look and his appearance. Maybe that's the reason why the people in Nineveh listened so closely because he was such a scary sight. I don't know. <laughs> but, but God made it clear, no, Jonah, you don't get to escape from my will. You're going to do what I have called you to do. So get on board. That, that's a great example of that. And so is this. I love this. Daniel 4, 34 through 30, 35. Who had that? Okay, Tom, go ahead. And at the end of the day, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven. Among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can say his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Okay, this is a wonderful testimony. This is a truth that even many Christians struggle with, right? And and we've all had times where we've struggled. Is God really in control of, of everything, uh, even the evil that happens? And we'll have an answer to that question. Habakkuk's an answer to that question. But Nebuchadnezzar gives us an answer to that question, too. And where even Christians struggle, he makes it very clear. This formerly arrogant, cruel, um, narcissistic would be a great description of Nebuchadnezzar. Now he says that I worship the Most High. I recognize who he is, the God of Daniel, the God of Israel. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. There really is somebody more powerful than me. It's, it's God. It's a God of Israel. And listen, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Here is the money quote, so to speak. He does according to his will among the hosts of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar is saying, God always knows better than we do. And I'm the most powerful king in the world. I was formerly arrogant and thinking it was all me. And now I realize that no one, not even the most powerful king in the world, can tell God what to do. No one gets to do that. No one can stay his hand. No one, he's even saying here, no one can look at him and complain and say, God, what have you done in my life? Right? And because it says, no, no, no. God's sovereign. He gets to do whatever he wants. And we willingly submit to that. That's an amazing turnaround. I love that passage. And really, honestly, folks, I think as far as you can know this, I think one day we'll see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. That's my 
personal opinion because he submits himself and puts his faith in the God of Israel and has this wonderful um, insight as to the sovereignty of God. It's not, you can't say it any better than that. But then you have this question, right? Well, if that's the case, God's sovereign in sovereign control of all things, then why does evil happen? Why does God allow evil in my life and the life of others? And folks, that's a hard one. But one of the things that you should turn to, one of the passages is Acts 4, 26 through 28. Who has that? Go ahead. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed, both Herod and Pontius um, Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined, predestined to take place. Okay, and we, we've just recently gone through this in our study of Acts. But what was the worst atrocity that was ever committed in the, in the long length of world history? We could think of a lot of them, right? We could think of Hitler and his awful torture and his wiping out of so many thousands of Jews. We could think of communism under Stalin, Lenin. We could think of lots of atrocities, but what was the worst atrocity as far as um, evil in the world? It really was the death of Jesus Christ, the death of the perfect Lamb of God who did not deserve punishment, and yet um, he was rejected by his people, uh, and he was crucified. The most awful evil that ever took place was God in control of that? Did God have his own purposes for that? That's what Peter says here, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined. This was always his plan. It wasn't something he came up with after we sinned. God sovereignly planned from all eternity past to send his son to die for us, that we could be saved and have redemption. And so when people ask you that, now if they're unbelievers, you still... You know, they're, they're not going to fully understand. But certainly, as far as believers go, remind them that the most wicked thing that was ever done, that God had a plan for that. And so God has a plan for all other evil um, and can work and, and will work those things out for our benefit and for his glory every time. And that's the beauty of his sovereign will. Well, next week, we're going to get into this more. And we're going to see an example of Samson, and then we're going to see what we do with all this, how God works this in our lives. But again, to sum up, God's will for our lives, he gives us a choice of whether to follow his word, his moral will for us or not. But his sovereign will, we just submit to and say, God, you know more than I do. I don't understand why you're doing this. But like Nebuchadnezzar, I won't question arrogantly what you're doing but i'll submit to your plan knowing that you know what's best as the all-wise eternal god you have the ultimate perspective i submit to that perspective i submit to your sovereign will choice in his moral will we should choose to obey submission to the sovereign will. father thank you for these truths that you have made clear 
And so that we don't have to keep wondering in these, and we'll see some applications of this next week, of what your will is for the specific areas of our life. Lord, we know how you would have us obey you. We have your word for that. And then wondering what you're going to do in circumstances in our life. We just have to submit to and wait like Habakkuk did for your timing and for you to act. Realizing that we will know what your will was when you decide to act and perform that will in our lives. Lord, help us to not um, balk or be bothered by that, but realize that your sovereignty and your control in our lives is a beautiful thing that gives us hope, that gives us confidence that regardless of whatever happens in our lives, that you will use it for our good and your glory. And let us be encouraged in that even as we go from here today. So at the same time, Lord, we pray that through your Holy Spirit, you will enable us to walk worthy obey you in literally every decision that we make. It's possible. And we pray that you might make that a reality. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.